I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers that have been in the field for well over 25 years. Oh my God, you always make us sound so old. <laughs> we are old. <laughs> Through our podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge and our challenges. And, and our foibles and anything that's going to help create a very unique and, and unusual landscape for you and your family and friends. Yes, and today we are going to talk about the absolute queen of flowers and blooms, which are, Michael? A rose is a rose is a rose. Who said that? Well, that's Shakespeare. He also said to stop and smell the roses. No, that actually a rose is a rose is a rose was actually said by Gertrude Stein. Oh, well, I bet she took it from Shakespeare. She probably did. She probably <laughs> did. And one last little thing before we go on. Emma Goldman said, I'd rather have roses on my table than diamonds on my neck. Uh, I'd have to stop and question that. But uh, <laughs> I guess if you're used to having a lot of diamonds, roses would be great. However. <laughs> oh, so man. you're right. It is. It goes back hundreds of years. And thousands, it is, actually. Thousands. Thousands. Thousands of years, yes. Um, pre two thousand years, remember um, in Egypt they were making rose oil and cooking. The Romans were cooking with rose water, um, so roses have been around for for quite a, quite a long time. But um, let's let's start. Actually, let, let's let me start with this: the term "stop and smell the roses." If there was ever a time in history that we need to really stop and smell the roses i would say it's now wouldn't you i would i would um it and it basically it's it's not only figuratively stop and smell a rose but it's also stop take some time and appreciate the beauty of a garden which a uh, rose epitomizes exactly and also with all the um chaos going on which i guess in our human lives there's always chaos politically, globally, or whatever, when you stop and smell a rose and take in the scent and the beauty, that's where you are in the moment and nothing else matters. And that alone could soothe your soul. So stop and smell the roses is actually <clears throat> a very important thing to do. How's that? Absolutely. And for those technical people that want to know, the rose is in the rosaceae family and looking in, in it actually, you're right, it dates back over 5,000 years, and it probably originated in China. Well, let me tell you, Homer in the 8th century BC was recounting how Aphrodite covered the body of Hector with rose oil obtained by soaking petals in olive oil. And then the poet Sappho, at the beginning of the 7th century BC, had awarded the rose the title of the Queen of Flowers. So that's when I said the Queen of Flowers. That came from the 7th century BC. Been Pretty amazing. Pretty I amazing. have to say roses, for me, they're one of my most favorite flower. And mainly because the they're, they're just so vivid. They're colorful. They're expressive. 
Um, they add any life to any garden, and they come in so myriad of colors. I mean, from reds to oranges to coral to pink to dark pink. I mean, that's what's so amazing. I mean, if if you could only have, in my opinion, only have one flowering bush in your yard, I would I would definitely pick a rose. Well, roses are also medicinal. And um, speaking of rose and their family, let's let's talk about the different variety because there are many varieties. And I think the ones that the varieties that most people kind of go to are the large flowered rose bushes, which are called the hybrid teas. Right. And they're also right in line with those of the grandifloras. Well, they're, yeah, they're considered either or. And what that means is they're big, beautiful roses, one on each stem. That's what a hybrid tea is. And they're good because um, those are the ones that you usually think about for giving as a gift you know, um, red roses to your heart, your sweetheart, because they've got a long stem, you can cut them and put them in a vase. Right. And the next um, grouping would be the clustered rose um, bushes. And I'm sure you've seen those. Well, you'll have four to five clusters of roses on one stem, and they're absolutely beautiful and good for cutting as well. And those are called floribundas. And right. Those also are wonderful. Um, you get you get more show in, rather than a single rose that opens and you go wow. You'll get like four or five roses, and they're not they may not be as perfect and as as um, amazingly shaped as the single one, but you really get a big floret of, of bloom. Yes, they're they're wonderful, and the same in that same family are the polyanthus, which are also cluster roses, but they're they're smaller. Um, one thing, one type of rose that I use all the time are the um, ground cover roses. The floor uh, carpets, yes. The, the, they are so hardy. I have, um, well, they go on for years and years, and I have one right by my driveway about to bloom, and there must be maybe 300 to 400 blooms about to pop. Amazing. I know, and they're they're pretty much indestructible. A lot of people think, oh, my God, I have to spend so much time um, maintaining a rose. Well, for example, the floor carpets or the ground cover roses, um, basically all you really have to do if you want something that's low maintenance or no maintenance, once a year in the wintertime when they start to go dormant, you can cut them back to six inches, and that's it. Yeah, well, you know what? I cut my one at the driveway for the first time in probably eight years because I needed to fix a drip head. And I'm here to tell you, I cut it back to probably about a foot and a half. That thing is massive again, and it looks so healthy and beautiful. So you don't, you, you know, don't don't chastise yourself if you're not there every year because roses are so forgiving. I mean, unless you get stuck by their pricks. <laughs> exactly. The other thing that a lot of people don't realize, in many respects, roses are pretty drought tolerant. They mm -hmm. don't take the amount of water that everyone thinks that they do. Yeah. And, um, you know, there there are certain things, you know, for example, as you were saying, if you're doing the, the grandiflora or the the uh, the real specimen roses, um, yes, when you prune them, it is good to cut them back to maybe three to five main canes. And that's where you think people are saying, oh, there's a lot of pruning, a lot of work. With, when it comes to my roses, but when you when you're talking about the flora carpets or even the flora bundas, you don't have to do that kind of pruning. You don't, and um, if you're at all intimidated, YouTube has thousands of YouTube you know videos on how to prune roses. So, um, with those larger roses, I love an underplanting of um, 
a pink Mexican primrose that's called Onothera, and it's a ground cover. And I'm here to tell you, when the roses are in bloom, the pink Mexican um, primrose also in bloom, and it too is drought tolerant. And it is stunning, absolutely stunning. So keep that in mind for a combination. And a, a lot of you are maybe, if, if you're hear, hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, why did they pick roses? Well, it's spring now in California, and I will tell you, it's one of the first things that it's in bloom are the roses, and they are putting out the most glorious show that you can imagine. They, they are. Mine, are. mine are just starting. Plus, over my front door and on the trellis, and also in my back over trellis, I have um, a climbing rose. This particular climbing rose is a Cecil Bruner, and it only blooms once a year, and that's now in spring. And there must be a thousand blooms, and they're light pink. They're absolutely gorgeous. And then because there's only one showing, I planted a, a lemon yellow rose climber as well that's now starting to weave its way through that. So when the pink ones, the Cecil Bruners, are done blooming, I'll have the yellow roses blooming. So don't hesitate to start mixing them and interweaving them. However, if you're going to have a climber, you need something, some structure to have them climb on. And they get big and thick and they need to be trained. Right. Absolutely. Whether it be an iron arch, whether it be a pergola, you know, made out of wood. But make sure it's, it's very sturdy because the roses tend to be heavy. They're heavy. And you know what? If you have a tree that died, plant roses around it because that, too, makes a great trellis. No reason why you shouldn't. Absolutely. And then there's also when you talk about roses, there are what we call the workhorse roses. And those are in, in very similar to the floribunda. But those are like the the uh, iceberg roses, which now um, those are white roses that bloom eight to nine months out of the year. They max out at about four feet. And the iceberg roses develop so that they're not just white. You can get them in red. You can get them in wine color. You can even get them in a dark pink. Yes, and um, climbers. They do have iceberg climbers or white climbers. So Exactly, um, which are, they're, those are spectacular too. And, and again, what's so nice about that kind of roses, you know, um, some people grow roses for... Um, the, the uniqueness of the flowers. Some grow for, they, they like the color. Other people grow it for the scent. And then some people just like the profusion of blooms. Um, the iceberg roses don't have the incredible scent, but some of the floribundas and some of the, the grandifloras or the tea roses, um, those definitely have incredible scents. What's your favorite one? Well, oh my God, there's, I have so many favorite roses, but, um, some of the ones that I have, I have um, a rose called Marilyn Monroe, and it was um, named for Marilyn Monroe. And I'm telling you, this rose is the thorniest rose, but the blooms, I mean, someone who thought about her luscious, you know, flesh, that's the color of this rose. It's amazing. Jacob's Ladder is another favorite. It's wonderful. Um, double delight. But, you know, because I can go on and on. But before I go much further, you mentioned... Um, scented roses and there are nurseries and there's one it's a mail order catalog uh there's a nursery called storybook farm in southern california and they only grow scented roses so if you're after the scented roses um just know that not all these roses because they're hybrids um are scented so if you want scented 
you have to really um, know what you're buying. And there are mail order places or there's some local, but you have to, you know, be there or know what you're ordering so you don't get disappointed later on. Exactly. And the scents vary, you know, from very, very heavy to very light to um, kind of spicy. Um, again, it's, it's really kind of interesting, as with the colors. Um, and then there's then there's the specialty roses, the, the David Austin roses. You oh, talk yeah. About those? The, the old roses. Yeah. Um, they're they're fabulous. You know, I should mention that roses are actually hermaphrodites. They um, combine the male and female in a single um, flower. So in nature, they self-fertilize. They're pretty amazing. And, and wind, insects bring pollen from one flower to the next. But um, uh, most people don't even, you know, they just think, oh, roses always bloom. But they're pretty in interesting being, um, you know, both male and female. Um, oh, one more thing is rose oil. Now, if, yes. you're, if you're someone that... that is into aromatherapy or even the um, the art of perfumery. Turkish rose oil could go for hundreds of dollars for an ounce. That's how precious it is. And there are many different types of rose and even oil made from rose wood. But it is it is a fine ingredient. And if you're using the pure stuff, it's very pricey. It takes I don't know how many thousands of petals to get a few drops of rose oil. So it's and, then, and then there's rose hips, and that can be made with tea. And yeah, and that's very easy. If you have, um, especially the Rugosa roses, which are the wild roses, they have big rose hips. You'll see at the end of the season these big orange, round, kind of ball-shaped. Those have, are packed with vitamin C. And uh, when you buy rose hip tea, that's what you're buying. So they, they are, and, and rose petals are edible as well. So um, you don't have to worry about that, but you could have your own rose hips um, on your own bushes. I like uh, you know, what I love, you know, to be honest with you, as I said earlier, is the diversity. What you can do with them from um, color in the garden to scent in the garden to ground cover. I mean, there is so much you can do with a single rose and not just one rose, but all different varieties of them that you can use in the landscaping. I mean, the, the other thing that's really nice is you can do a hedge of roses and if you want some security, yes, they're beautiful and yes, they bloom constantly and the color is amazing, but you're gonna find that you also get some security with people and animals not going through your property because they do have the thorns and no one wants to run through a rose bush because it does have the thorns and, and they're painful. Right. But deer love roses. So yes, if you, have yes, deer, they do. you will not have rose blooms and they will chew down almost anything. So that's, <laughs> that's one animal that, um, that will not look at that as a, as a border. They'll look at it as, Hey, dessert, you left me dessert. Yes. So it, nice. Of you. <laughs> it truly is a gourmet meal. In fact, it was funny, I was doing a job up in uh, Northern California, up in an area, and the people never mentioned that they real they have a tremendous amount of roses. And we actually did some beautiful rose trees in the front of their house. And two days later, I came back to see how things were going. And is just like what Roberta said, they were e they were eaten down to the ground. I mean, they, there were no roses anymore. They looked more like rose sticks. And uh, uh, a family of deer just came through and it was like being in the gourmet uh, uh you know the gourmet salad line they just one after another after another ate the roses so that was not a good choice 
Yes, yes. heartbreaking. You know, I um, recently planted uh, five acres in um, in woodland, and all along their fence, they had just a, a wire fence. You know, like like most large properties that have farmland. And I planted rugosa roses on the inside of their fence. But those roses, are, they'll get massive. And that's such a great hedge. And when they're in bloom, which is now, it'll just be masses and masses of flowers. And they're hardy and wonderful. So like Michael was saying, um, roses make great hedges. You just want to put them in a place where, you know, there's not a lot of traffic. Exactly. Human exactly. Traffic. So, I mean, so that's one thing. As I said, they make a great hedge. Another option, as we said earlier, is they make a great understory like a carpet rose. So, again, what would be great about those are you can mix them with other perennials. And where some of the other perennials are going dormant or they're not blooming as much, the rose will just continue to bloom on and on and on and on, which, again, is is another wonderful asset if you want lots of color in your yard. Yes, you know, a combination, well, here's some combinations I like to use. Let's say you do a little mound. And on top of the mound, I like to do something that's going to be tall and upright. And it could be something like a flax, a formium, a cordyline, a variegated yucca, depending on your your source. So you've got that sticking up. And then, not too close, but then you have a, um, a ground cover rose. And there's many different ground cover roses and some get bigger than others. And then next to that, let's say you have a lavender. And then next to that, you have something that gets a little taller, a salvia. But the lavender, that's blooming now. And then when you clip it, it's it's just your gray. And the salvias look good, you know, at certain uh, times of the year. The rose always looks good and always kind of takes its space there. So think about grouping these, these ground cover roses. Some of them will get um, two feet high or a foot and a half, and some will get three and a half to four foot high. You've got to check. The newer hybrids will stay more in the three foot range. Right. And the other thing that's great is, and, and like Roberta was saying about groupings, I like to do, for example, if I do a background of white iceberg roses, I'll then dot in the front of them. I would draw, dot in like a, a lavender, one of the French or the English lavenders, which has that gorgeous bluish purple flower that blooms, and then accent it with maybe a, a grass like the Lamandra Platinum Beauty, which is gray. So now you've got green, white, blue, and gray, and then you can pull in some of the purple salvia, which again, kind of picks up that gray, green, white, and so you get the diversity, um, which is really, really cool. I mean, I think the thing that I love so much about the, the, the new roses and the new hybrids is that the color variations that they're coming out with is, you know, most people think, you know, I, I've got red, I've got white, I've got pink, that's it. Well, no, and that, um, and maybe once in a while you get yellow. Now you're having, you're getting apricots and almost like a like an orange cinnamon and um, a cocoa, a red that's kind of a burnt red. I mean, the color variations that are now being hybridized in roses is is pretty spectacular. Well, we have, and I'm sure in many cities across the United States, as we come into the season, have rose gardens. We, around our capital of uh, California, which is in Sacramento, they have rose gardens, and they're magnificent. And that's a wonderful, or Golden Gate Park. I mean, there's so many places that have rose gardens. Portland, um, when the roses are in bloom, take a walk, and then note note the many, many varieties. There's hundreds of varieties. 
Um, you know, another rose that, that is wonderful for small hedges are miniature roses. Yeah, I like those too. Those yeah. are great. And, and a lot of times people give them as gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, they'll bring, a, bring a, a housewarming gift of a small miniature rose. And most people let them bloom and then throw them, throw them away. On well, the I contrary. They, always. I plant them. Exactly. Exactly. I remember last year for my daughter's birthday, um, one of her friends brought her this miniature rose and she was about ready to throw it away after it finished blooming. And I said, no, no, we're going to plant it in the garden and every year. And now it's coming up and it's full of blooms. It's just pretty amazing. They're wonderful. I'd, I'd say Trader Joe's is probably the, the main source of miniature roses. Uh, and to, so, to grab right, and I was going to say the one thing that we need to cover real quickly, because we're as we're running out of time, is some of the, the things that you need to be aware of, you know, problems with roses. And the number one thing that I'm finding with the spring blooming and everything coming out is the number one thing is aphids. aphids. Yes, aphids. Um Aphids, you know, there's there's different ways. You don't have to use heavy chemicals to get rid of aphids. You could use some. Well, there's the you could buy the the garden soap called Safer. Yes. And spray the roses. Um, sometimes people just lightly spray them with um, their hose on the sprinkler setting. You know, kind of. But you don't want to get them too wet because you might get mold. But um, aphids are easily taken care of. I used to spray them with Safer and then. Um, Take, you know, if it was heavily coated, I would take them off with cotton balls. The aphids. I also find that, which is kind of fun, um, I go to the local nursery and I get ladybugs. And I'll, I'll do a whole container of ladybugs, throw them over the roses early in the morning. And, and you'd be surprised how many of those ladybugs will munch out on the aphids and absolutely, you know, just wipe out 90% of the aphid crop. You know, that's true. However, I just listened to an art. Well, I read an article, which is when you buy a bag of um, ladybugs, they're live. They come in a mesh bag. Right. Um, what you want to do is, first of all, you want to leave them before you open them by the rose bush and you cut off a leaf that has aphids and put it close to them. Then you open it and then you kind of place it around the rose bush or on the leaves. Because if you just open a bag of ladybugs and dump them on the rose, they will fly away. I didn't know this. I've done I, it. I did either. So if you leave them first by the roses and, and then tantalize them with a leaf or two that's covered with aphids, then open the bag and then place them where there's a, you know, a heavily colonized group of aphids, they will, you know, they've been, you know, they've, they've been tantalized like i said with the with the yummy looking thing so if you so do it that way then they will stay on the roses and they'll get to work eating those aphids yeah that's a great idea i didn't know that um i've also used some insecticidal soap which again if you stay away from the chemicals because not only do the chemicals it's not healthy for the environment it's not healthy for for um anyone but um it may kill the aphid but it'll also um kill some of the healthy bugs you want to stay away from that you know and there's a lot of different ways to treat you know if, if you do wind up with aphids um what would you say is best fertilizer for roses you know there's a couple things Roses love chicken manure, and you could buy chicken manure that doesn't smell like chicken poop. <laughs> it's been kind of not deodorized, but they got rid of the scent. So it, they, um, chick, um, so roses love not only chicken manure, which you could buy in bags, but they also love banana peels, believe it or not. 
So that I did not know. Yeah. So, you know, instead of throwing them out, I mean, all my banana peels pretty much go in the compost, but you could just dig around the bottom and put them in there. And then all their nutrients of the banana peels will leach into the soil, but they love that too. So that's fair. I see. I didn't know that. I do know that one of my clients, I went out to see their house and her garden was exuberant and her roses and she uses coffee grinds. Well, coffee grinds are, um, bring acid to the soil and, and plants that love coffee grinds are also anything with a shiny leaf, gardenias, azaleas, rhododendrons, um, have at it. You know, sometimes Starbucks has, they, they have bags for free of their used coffee grinds and it's for the garden. Right, right. So again, these are these are different things that, you know, household remedies for keeping your garden looking amazing rather than going out and spending your money and buying lots of noxious chemicals. Right, right. Uh, roses, let me tell you, um, if, if you if you're tentative about how much care in the on the West Coast here in the warmer climates, they are not a lot of work in the East Coast, maybe more because I've had clients that come from the East and they said, oh, no, I just I, I couldn't keep up with them. It's there's so little work, really. Right. I, it, the funny story when you say that is my sister's favorite flower is a rose and she lived back east. She lived in Wisconsin and every year she would have, you know, she'd buy one or two roses and she'd baby them. And the variety that she found that did the best in a very cold and climate was the blaze, B-L-A-Z-E. They can handle a lot more snow, but she would have to put the she'd have to. Um, wrap them with um, sawdust or a lot of mulch, put a cone over them and everything so that they didn't freeze over. But again, I mean, and it was funny, I went to visit her and she was all excited because her rose was in bloom. She had three flowers and it was like, uh, oh yeah. And she was going, isn't this incredible? And I go, yeah, it's quite incredible. Three flowers. Yeah. I'm um, designing a landscape in Minnesota right now. And, um, she wants roses as well, but I noticed in the photos, we're doing it, you know, by a photo, right. uh, a lot of our conifers are wrapped in burlap right now. And um, I saw the same thing in England. <clears throat> my, one of my favorite gardens in England is called the Great Dixter. And um, it was a beautiful country cottage done uh, by the architect Serge Lutens, who designed these cottages. But the gardens were done by Gertrude Jekyll, who was one, you know, my inspiration. And um, one walled garden had all these tropicals. And I said, well, ha- you know, canna and palms. And what they do is they wrap them in burlap, they roll them into the greenhouse, and then they pull them back out again in spring. We don't need to go to those lengths. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And like I said, don't be afraid of roses. They're absolutely fabulous. The combinations are amazing. And um, they're not a lot of care. So... That's why we dedicated a whole show to roses, because at this time of year, it they are the queens. They are the blazing glory right now. I agree. And a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose. Right? Gertrude, that, yeah. Stein. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. And, um, anyway, we are so happy that you joined us today, and we look forward to... Um, to being with you next week as well. And as spring continues to unfold, we will bring up topics that are relevant for your garden. Absolutely. And I'm Michael Glassman. I'm Roberta Walker. And we are Digging Deep.